Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the Worshiping Connections pastor around here, if uh, you don't know who I am. I think I know most of you, so at least I got that going for the connections part. Um, but I have the privilege this week of bringing home our series, The Good Life. So uh, for the past five weeks, we have uh, walked through Romans 12, starting in verse 3, and uh, kind of tried to get a glimpse of what uh, the good life could be for us as Christ followers. So we've, what, we've, um, what we're looking at really as in light of... The first two verses of Romans 12, which we kind of covered in our series prior to this, which is which was called Battle Zone. So if you are joining us online or here in person and you have not watched that series, go back to our website and check that out. Because that kind of looks internally at within the battle zone of our mind and how we can uh, renew our mind and how we can, um, you know, whoa, Uh, in, in light of. What God's calling us to do internally now, what we can look at in the good life, in these next, you know, verses 3 through the rest of uh, Romans 12, what we've looked at is some action steps, some, some things that we can do, some tangible, practical ways that we can live the good life and hopefully show others how to live the good life. So, um, I say that because what I wanted to do is oftentimes when we go through these series and they're any more than a couple of weeks, we, we tend to look back and maybe we can forget some of those, what I'm going to call truth nuggets, uh, that, that we've been taught through this series. So what I wanted to do before we get into our topic today is I wanted to read, I'm actually going to read, so if you guys have your Bibles, I suggest you open those to Romans 12, uh, we're going to start in verse 3, I'm not going to have that up on the screen, so I just encourage you to read that along in your smartphones or in your actual Bibles, but we're going to read kind of each week as we went through it, and then we're going to talk about that truth nugget thing that I was talking about. So, Romans 12, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If in teaching, uh, use it in teaching. If exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So the truth nugget there that we can... Uh, maybe a piece of the puzzle how we can live the good life according to God is that the good life is using your God-given gift for people's good and God's glory. So using your God-given gift for people's good and for God's glory. Moving on. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. So what we find there is that the good life is found by living in genuine community. The good life is found by living in genuine community. So if we want a little piece of the good life, we need genuine community. We need love without 
hypocrisy. Uh, moving on, verse 11. Do not lack diligence and zeal. So don't, don't be lazy. Be fervent in the spirit. So be passionate. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. So what we learn through that section of scripture is that something we need to remind ourselves is that God is with me and that changes everything about today. It's a good thing to remember. God is with me and that changes everything about today. It's another piece of the puzzle of how we can live the good life according to Christ. Moving on, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So a passage of scripture that I think is very relevant to the world we're going on today, the world that we're living in today. So what we need to remind ourselves is that an unhinged world needs a Christ-centered church. A world that is unhinged, which... The world we live in is unhinged, needs a Christ-centered church. And at the heart of the good life is a heart like Christ. All really great things to remind us that if we want to live the good life, at the heart of that good life is a heart like Christ. Finally, what we covered last week, verses 17 and 18, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the truth that we got from there is that when people pay you with evil, pay them back with grace. When people pay you with evil, pay them back with grace. Now hopefully for you, this series has been something that has been been fruitful for your life, something you've been able to grab one or two things from this. Maybe, hopefully, maybe it's been something that's helped you in your walk with Christ and also helped you to urge others into this walk that we have as Christ followers to live the good life and to show people what the good life really is. And today what we're going to talk about kind of expands a little bit more on verses 17 and 18. It expands more on, you know, not repaying evil for evil. How can we actually do that? So we're going to expand on that a little bit. So my question for you this week is, have you ever been wronged by someone? Have you ever been hurt by someone? Have you ever felt like someone hurt you so bad and you wanted them to get the justice that they were due, but that didn't happen? Did you try to take matters into your own hands? It's a good question to ask yourself. Maybe questions. And if you've been alive for any longer than a couple of years there's a chance that your answer to those questions is yes. Did you try to take matters into your own hands? You know, and when I think of my experiences in life, um, I think a lot about the experiences where I, that I had on the baseball field. So I don't really like to talk about this all that much. It's not because I'm like ashamed of it. Uh, it's not really anything to do with that. Um, it's, it's more of like I don't want you to think that I think I'm more awesome than I actually am because I'm not really that awesome. Um, but I used to play baseball. I was a pitcher. 
I played baseball at the collegiate and at the professional level. And um, it took me to a lot of great different places all over the country. I got to meet a lot of really great people. Um, I even, it even gave me quite a few sermon illustrations, which is great. Uh, but I remember this one time specifically where I tried to take matters into my own hands. Um, so I was facing a guy who I had faced a lot in college when I was pitching. And um, this is a guy who particularly, if you know anything about baseball, um, he was a tough out, I guess it would be the easiest way for me to describe that. So he, was, he would always give me a tough at bat. And so another thing that we got to remember about baseball is that baseball has a lot of unwritten rules. Okay, there's, there's rules that are in the rule book, but then there are also rules that we don't talk about, but they're just expected you're supposed to know them. It could be things like, don't step on the foul lines, you know, the foul lines, don't step on the foul lines as you're running onto the field, because that's disrespectful for whatever reason. Uh, run to your position. Uh, it could be, if you hit a home run, don't look at it too longingly, or the next time you might get a bruise in your side, because you looked at it too longingly. There's a lot of unwritten rules in baseball, a lot of them that are hard to to figure out, but I actually specifically had an unwritten rule of my own, and that was, don't bun off of me. I absolutely despised it when people bunted off of me. I like to try to chalk it up to a respect thing, because that's what most of the unwritten rules are, but it was probably just because I was more lazy, and I didn't really want to run off the mound and try to grab the ball and throw it, because... A lot can happen in that time. but So this particular guy, I have the knowledge in my head of knowing that he's a tough out. So I know, all right, I'm going to have to throw my best pitches here. Throw the first pitch, and what does he do? He bunts. He bunts. And I, won't, I probably will never get to talk to him again. Um, so maybe, maybe he happens to catch his live stream and finds Jesus. But um, I'm just kidding. But it was a pretty good bunt. It was a really good bun, actually. It's so good that I wasn't able to get to it in time and throw him out. And so I was faced with two decisions at that point. I could get the ball from my first baseman, walk back to the pitching mound and all my dignity, or I could get the ball from my first baseman and tell the guy how I really felt about him bunning off of me. Do you want to guess which one I picked? <laughs> so I decided that as I was getting the ball from my first baseman, that I was going to tell him how, what I really thought of him for bunting off of me. So I used a word that I can't say right now, which in turn he used a word that I can't say right now, which in turn used for the coaches and the other players using those same words, and the bench is clearing. <laughs> yes, your pastor started a bench-clearing brawl. Um, I'm happy to say, though, nobody. the only thing that were thrown, or the only things that were thrown here were insults, no punches, um, but the fact of the matter was that I had a choice. I had a choice to do the right thing, which is get the ball, walk back to the mound from all my dignity, or to try to take matters into my own hands, and I chose wrong. I chose wrong. And that kind of got me thinking a, lot, a little bit about what we read last week and what we're going to get into this week. It got me thinking about... How many times in life we often try to take matters into our own hands? How we, try how, to, how we try to control everything. And how most of the time we wind up miserably failing because we can't do that. We often make things worse. Have you ever been there? 
Did you ever try to control a situation and then you ruined something? Maybe you, you felt wronged by somebody and you wanted to get justice from them, but that didn't actually happen. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in a situation that you are trying to control and you haven't relinquished that to God. You haven't let God tr- tried to let God enter the situation. Maybe you're drowning and you can't figure out why good things keep happening to bad people. And I think what we'll see as we close out Romans 12 this week, as we look at the, maybe the last final piece of what God is calling us to the good life according to this chapter, is that there's a different way. Paul offers us a better way to deal with these situations. When we're faced with evil, when we're faced with opportunities to try to control everything, Paul offers us a better way. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 19. So if you have your Bible still open, good job. If not, you can open them back up. And we're going to read uh, starting in verse 19. It says this, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. So we're going to focus on the first couple of words of verse 19 where it says, What does it say? If possible, no, I'm sorry. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. What does that mean, to avenge? What does that mean? I think, you know, in our culture today, especially where we have this movie that's called The Avengers, we have this thought that to avenge is actually a good thing. But is it? I actually looked up the definition of avenge because I was curious about it. It says this, to inflict harm in return for an injury or wrong done to oneself or another. So to inflict harm in return for an injury or wrong done to oneself or another. Well, to me, that doesn't sound very good. I don't know. Maybe, maybe just speaking out loud. But I kind of think when, when Paul talks about this, the do not avenge yourself, he's kind of speaking to our human nature, right? Because as with your human nature, we want justice. We want to see the bad guy getting what's due to him. It's in our very human nature. And that's probably why we love superhero movies so much is because we love to see that. We love to see evil getting conquered by good. We love to see the, the good guy punching the bad guy in the face. These are the things that we like. I guess maybe we like to see. I don't know if you like to see that. But, but we like to see evil getting conquered by good. But what we see here within the first few words of this is that Paul says there's a better way. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, just kind of like how we heard last week, don't repay evil for evil. Well, he, he's saying that there's a better way. So what is that better way? And if we look at the remainder of verses 19 and 20, it kind of gives us a glimpse at what that better way can be. So verse 19, let's start there again. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Let me read that again. Leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, 
Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. So what do we need to do? What's the first thing we need to do instead of avenge ourselves? We need to leave room for God to do his work. We need to look beyond our differences that we have with our enemies or anybody else. And we need to take the high road. And what I mean by the high road, I mean the path that God is calling us to, that the path that, that we're walking along with Jesus. And here's the good news. If we do that, we get to put a fiery coal on somebody's head. See, the tension is that if we do that, if we, if we leave room for God to do his work, oftentimes we won't see the justice being done. In this instant gratification world that we live in, if we leave room for God to do the work, we allow God to enter into the situation, a lot of times what happens is we don't really see that justification happening. And I think that's kind of where the rub is with us. It's like, it's in our human nature. We want to see that. We want to see justice being done. We want to see the reward for not avenging ourselves. But that oftentimes is it's not how it is. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been cut off in traffic? Did you ever see the justice done from that? Maybe you did it yourself. Have you ever been called a name by someone? Have you ever been hurt by someone close to you? Let me ask you this question. In those situations, how often did you try to take control of the situation? And you didn't leave God for room to leave room for God to do His work. Now, one thing I want to make clear, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that what you know Paul is not saying here that we just need to let everybody walk all over us. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you can guarantee, you can almost guarantee, that evil will happen to you at some point while you live on this earth. And what we need to do in those situations is we need to let God into them. We need to leave room for Him so that He can hopefully justify the situation. And that's why? It says, because the Lord says, vengeance belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, God, yes. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And no matter how, how, no matter how many times we try to make it belong to us, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. But there's good news. Look at verse 20. It says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. I think what Paul is saying in this is that you have power over your enemies. You can render your enemies powerless. And how do we do that? Well, in this case, he says we feed them when they're hungry. We give them something to drink when they're thirsty. But here's the thing. Remember that high road I talked about earlier? We give them the dignity, even though they don't give it to us, of treating them in a way that shows the love of Jesus. And if we do that, that's where he talks about this, this fiery coal thing. If we do that, then we, get, we render our enemies powerless. And there's something powerful that happens when we do that. 
we show them the grace that they deserve, even because, to be honest with you guys, none of us deserve grace. We don't deserve mercy, but God gave it to us anyway. So we, as Christ followers, should do the same. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? People who have been hurt, hurt people. So if we can show them grace, maybe we can understand that. Maybe we can give them something to drink or something to eat. We can treat them with dignity. Or maybe someone genuinely is trying to hold something over your head or something, somebody's genuinely trying to hold some power over you and doing, maybe doing some evil. But see, guys, it's in, that, in those moments that we can kind of flip the script. We can treat them in a way that they didn't expect and maybe, just maybe, they might change their ways. We can render our enemies powerless, but we have to remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to you or me or anyone else on this earth. So we have to leave room for God to do his work, but we also have a choice in the matter. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So Paul says, don't let evil conquer you. Conquer that evil with good. Allow me to get real with you for a second here, which I've been real with you from the beginning. But if you're sitting there right now, or if you're sitting right here in this room, or you're sitting in your room watching this online, and you have bitterness in your heart, you have envy, you have judgment, you have hatred, whatever that is, especially bitterness in your heart. My friends, allow me to tell you some truth that you're letting evil conquer you. We need to let God do his work with even within us. If we have bitterness or envy or hatred, anything like that, let God do the work for you because you're letting evil conquer you. So it says, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. What does that look like? What does it look like to conquer evil with good? Well, I think if we look at at a couple of things, right, we need to remember one thing specifically. Jesus gave us a great example of how we can conquer evil with good. And this comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So he's talking to a bunch of, of people, and he says, You've heard it was said to our ancestors. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, but I tell you, do not resist the evildoer. In fact, if he slaps you on the cheek, turn and offer the other one to him also. If he sues you for your shirt, give him your coat as well. If he forces you to go with him one mile, go with him too. What he's saying is that we have to do above and beyond what is expected. And that's hard to do to our enemies, right? But I think if you're asking yourself, why, right? Why do I have to conquer evil with good? It's because when we do so, we not only do we keep fiery coals on their head, but we honor our Father in heaven by doing so. We show others what love really is. We conquer evil with good. Now again, I just wanted to make this clear. This doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to get trampled on over and over and over again. Because if we look back to what we read last week, it says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, if possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, as, as possible, as much as it depends on you. It doesn't mean we get trampled, but it also, it doesn't mean that we sit back passively and hope the evil goes away. If we're going to conquer evil with good, we, got, we have to do something. We can't just sit back and hope that it goes away. Conquer in itself is not a passive word. To conquer something is active. So we have to conquer evil with good. You know, one of the things, too, if you think about this, maybe you heard me say this before, is that being the bigger person, right, is often hard. And if maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, why do I always have to be the bigger person? Verse 21 is your answer. Do not be conquered by evil. Conquer evil with good. Guys, we got to understand that we are bought at a price. We are bought at a price. If you are covered under the blood of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, you are bought at a price. We are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness. We have to conquer evil with good. We must be a better example. We have to be a better example. We have to be better than stooping to the level of fighting evil with evil. Because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to avenge yourself. Because that's what this world tells us to do. It's in our very nature to do that. But God calls us to something better. And I'm so thankful that Jesus was the ultimate example of conquering evil with good. You see, when Jesus was arrested, he was beaten. He was bruised, he was whipped, he was spit on, he was mocked. And he was ultimately crucified on a cross. And despite all that, what did Jesus do? He still loved us. He still loved the very people who were doing all those things to him. He still loved them. He knew that we couldn't let evil conquer us. He knew that you, to, in order to conquer evil, you had to do it with good. So Jesus knew this better way that Paul is talking about. And he physically lived it out when he did those things for us. To cover us under his blood, to wash away all of our sins. He understood that he had to conquer evil with good. And guys, this is what he's inviting us to into. He's inviting us, even our enemies, into this. And we have a chance to make a real impact in this world. We have a real chance to show people what the love of Jesus actually is. And what it really looks like. We have a chance to show the world what the real good life is. According to Scripture. We have a real chance to be the light in the darkness of this world. And we also have a choice. It starts when we choose to conquer evil with good. And it starts when we start to leave room for God to do the work. And we stop trying to control everything that happens. And I think what we can learn from this, maybe this is the last piece of the puzzle, for at least for this series, on what the good life looks like. But maybe it's a really good reminder of this. The good life begins... Where my control ends. The good life begins where my control ends. Guys, in this world, there is an endless supply of evil. 
And if we want to conquer evil with good, one of the things we need to do, which I've been hinting at this most of the time, but we need to invite God into the process. We need to stop trying so hard to do everything on our own. We need to stop putting the weight of the world on our shoulders. Because we have somebody who said they'll carry the weight. When we face evil, and we will, we need to be the bigger person. We need to take the high road. When someone wrongs us, and they will, we need to give, show them the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. The kind of love that not only allows us to live the good life, but like I said, it, it invites even our enemies into living that good life with us. We need to walk in surrender to the king. Let me say that again. We need to walk in surrender to the king. And when we can let go of our control, and we can give that to God, it's life-changing. Really hard to do, a lot easier to say. But when we can let go of our control, when we can surrender that to God, it can be life-changing. When I say the word idol, what comes to mind to you? When I say the word idol, when you hear that, what comes to mind to you? Other than maybe some golden statue from Indiana Jones. See, oftentimes when we think of idols, we think of things in the past of like these big sculptures that people would bow down and worship to, and that was the thing that they did. Well, see, idols are a little bit more deceptive than that. An idol is anything that you put above God. Anything in your priority list that's above what God has called us to do. So if you're stressed to the max right now, let me ask you a question. Have you invited God into the process? Have you surrendered control to Him? Because control can be an idol. Same as money, same as relationships, same as your personal preferences, control can be an idol. And if we desire to control everything and we don't invite God into the process, then our control is an idol. As walking with Jesus is a daily process, and so is surrendering to Him. And it has to happen outside of these walls. It has to happen outside of your community group. It has to happen while you're interacting with people at the grocery store. It has to happen when you're posting the Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever you guys do nowadays. It has to happen outside of these walls because we have a chance to show people the love of Jesus and not stoop down to the evil that's in this world. We are the church and there is a world out there that needs us. We can show this world what the true good life is. We have all the secrets in our hands. It's right here. We can show them what the good life actually is. We can conquer evil with good. So maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, okay, I think, I, I think I'm tracking with you, Mike, here, but, but how can I actually do this? What are some things that I can actually do? So here are some action steps for you. 
This is how we can conquer evil with good. And it's right here, written right in here. We got to leave room for God to do the work. We have to leave room for God to do the work. We have to stop trying to control everything. Surrender your control to him. It can be something as easy as when you wake up in the morning, you say, God, you're in control. And then actually living that out in different situations in your life. It could be taking that idol that you have in your life. Maybe it's not control. Maybe it's something else. And surrendering that to him. Putting him in his rightful place and putting that idol in its rightful place. It could be forgiving someone who has wronged you. Even if you know they're not going to give you a heartfelt apology back. Whatever you decide on, surrender it all to God and watch him do the work. Would you guys stand? We're going we're gonna to pray and the band's going to come out here and sing a song. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. We are so thankful for the the inspired words of the Bible, of scripture that, that gives us a path, God, to move forward and to live what the good life is according to you. God, help us as this week, as we go out into our lives and as we, God, as we interact with people, when we're faced with evil, Allow us to conquer it with good. God, if we are struggling with control, God, if we're stressed to the max and we're trying to control every aspect of our life with white knuckles, God, I ask that you allow us to release that to you this week. That you allow us to surrender everything we have to you and put you in your right, rightful place, God. God, remind us that the good life begins or my control ends. God, we have to give everything to you. You deserve it. You're worthy of all of our all of our praise. You're worthy of everything that we have to offer you. It's all because of your son, Jesus, and how he conquered evil with good. Help us live it out this week, God. Help us not stoop to the level of evil, but conquer that with good. God, show us, Give us ways and show us ways to where we can leave room for you in our life. If we're struggling with that, God, I pray that you give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to leave room for you this week. God, when we invite you into our life, when we surrender the control to you, true life change can happen, God. Not just for us, but even for the people that we might call enemies. Allow us to stand in your truth this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.